Hi, and welcome to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm Angie Cabe, CEO and co-founder of Intuity Performance. I'm a performance coach, HR professional, whole person leadership facilitator, and your host. The Human Side of Business podcast is fueled by the genuine curiosity to understand how personal characteristics and skills can be leveraged to drive individual and team performance, tangible outcomes, and ultimately organizational success within business. Each podcast is devoted to sharing knowledge, expanding our learning edges, and exploring the trends in corporate culture towards growing the emotional intelligence of organizations. I'm so glad you're here. Hi there, this is Ange McCabe, CEO and co-founder of Intuity Performance, where our business is the success of your business. I'm a performance coach, HR professional, facilitator, and your host of the Elevate Business podcast. The Elevate Business Podcast is a journey of discovery fueled by the curiosity to genuinely understand what makes people tick when it comes to their professional path, choices made, and the personal characteristics that drive performance, tangible outcomes, and ultimately success. The Elevate Business Podcast is here to promote the enormous contributions of small and medium-sized businesses around the world by exploring the actions that make a workplace successful the trends in corporate culture towards growing the emotional intelligence of an organization, and how we build whole person performance from the ground up. Each podcast is devoted to sharing knowledge, growing our learning edges, and honoring our passions with a special guest who has elevated their business, overcome obstacles, and inspires others to do the same. So glad you're here. Hi, and a warm welcome to episode number 16 of the Elevate Business Podcast. Both myself, Ange McCabe, and Scott Rust are your hosts, and we have the pleasure of introducing you to Aaron Blasky, who has a passion for technology, is a startup mentor, TEDx speaker, and very well recognized within the founder and tech community in Ottawa. In 2004, not 2014, 2004, Erin launched a virtual assistant startup offering her services and lending a team, leading a team remotely before it was a thing to do. She brings that experience as director of marketing to fellow app, empowering their team while working remotely. Welcome, Erin. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited. It's it's our pleasure. We're really excited to dig in as well. So tell us about yourself, your journey, uh, and a, a little bit about your company. Sure. Yeah. So, um, I always, I never know where to start because, you know, life is, life is long. Uh, (laughs) but I think I'll give, I'll give a few highlights, um, that I think have contributed to sort of where I've, I've have landed today. Uh, so I always like to start back in 1986, which sounds like this is going to take a long time, but I promise (laughs) it won't. Um, but back in 1986, my dad came home one day and we, I didn't grow up with a whole lot. Like we, we, uh, you know, my family was definitely, um, blue collar family. And one day my dad came home with this computer and he came home with a Commodore 64, which, uh, a lot of, you know, younger people don't know what that is, but, uh, thankfully I was sort of on the cusp of that generation. And he came home with this computer and put it down in front of us, uh, my sister and I, and, it sort of opened my eyes instantly to, you know, what technology was, what it could do, the possibilities. And I got really excited about technology, um, you know, from a very early age. Mm -hmm. And I remember like even my sister and I playing office at home and I was the CEO and she was the secretary. She's younger. So that, you know, she had to, um, but this, (laughs) this was just something that like, 
I didn't have any examples of, you know, what, uh, what it meant to be a CEO. I didn't have examples of what it meant to be an entrepreneur in my family. Um, but I just had this innate desire right Mm -hmm. away. And this almost like this pull toward, um, you know, business and tech and everything from, from really early on. So that sort of continued, uh, throughout my life. I was very entrepreneurial. I was the weird you know, kid who was coming up with all kinds of ways to sell everything to anyone, um, including birch bark to n- nearby uh, neighbors, like that had cottages, um, and they bought it. I mean, it was probably just that I was like a little kid going door to door, and you know, that was cute. But um, anyway, this these patterns continued, and so when I was uh, in in high school, I kind of had this idea to start a company. I didn't start it then because my um, aunt and uncle offered me a job in an ice cream uh, shop instead. So I took that. But the business idea that I had kind of, it was was sort of the same business that I launched in 2004. It looked mm. a little different. I was going to offer word processing skills back in high school to local businesses. Um, but when I launched the business in 2004, I actually took it virtual. Like the internet had evolved by then. There was much more you know possibilities. Uh, so I, I sort of set up this virtual assistance business, landed my first client within two weeks, had a full roster by six months, and then quit my job and started working in that company. Uh, and I did that for 14 years, grew the company from just myself to 25 subcontractors and freelancers and different moving parts. We had we worked with over 300 clients globally. And uh, then I hit a pretty significant wall of burnout um, inside of that period, uh, which then led me to start reevaluating, you know, both my life, my career, where I wanted to go. And that that veered me back into the real, real world, so to speak, the real working world. So I, I took a job at a startup accelerator and then landed at Fellow. So uh, Fellow is really exciting for me. Uh, I'm a productivity nerd. And Fellow is a great tool for managers and teams and their meetings. And uh, yeah, so sort of lots of lots of things I've covered in that time period, but uh, we can dig into any one of those areas, but it's been a, a wild ride over the last 30, actually my birthday's tomorrow, so 38 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, most importantly, happy birthday tomorrow, Erin. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate um, that. Yeah. And there's certainly a lot to dig in there. So, you know, it sounds to me like having that entrepreneurial spark for you started early on. Yes. So, and within that, I can hear inklings around performance and what that definition means to me. When you hear the word performance, what does it mean to you? Oh, this is, this is honestly such a great question and I'll be like, I'm a very transparent person. So I hope you're, you're both okay with the, with the level of transparency. Yeah. But, um, I spent a lot of time in therapy, uh, unpacking performance. Um, and the reason is, is because I actually have a tumultuous relationship with the, some of the societal definitions of performance. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I think early on in my, you know, in my life, I received a lot of attention and a lot of praise when I was performing in a certain way. Like if I was getting straight A's, if I was doing really well in, you know, in, in different extracurriculars, I got a lot of attention for that. And it sort of built this, uh, almost like it almost, it built me into the, uh, the type of person that my self-worth was attached to the level of performance that I was, um, you know, mm, moving uh... toward. Yeah. Now that's, if I look at it through only the lens of like what 
you know, more often in society, people view success um, as being, uh, or they view people that are successful in a certain light. Um, so for me, as I moved through that very uncomfortable um, area of performance, where it was, you know, it was, I was only like my self-worth was attached to performance. It had to be really high. It had to be, you know, nonstop and ongoing. As I unpacked that, um, both with therapy and also just time experience uh, and, and growing, I realized that actually performance for me isn't always achieving what society thinks success looks like, but it's actually um, achieving a level of internal success. And that's, def- and I have to define that for myself. Mm-hmm. So whereas like society may view success as being a big house and a big, you know, a fancy car or designer clothes or whatever it might be. For me, I actually realized through, again, really digging in and, and discovering a lot about myself that performance to me really means, can I show up happy and feeling fulfilled to my work every day? Can I do work that leads to financial security? It doesn't, I don't need to be rich, but like for me personally, I just want to feel financially secure. Um, can I be the role model I want to be for my daughter? You know, there's, there's, a, do am I practicing self-care? Like there's a lot mm. in it, but mm. performance really for me is, is less now about how much am I achieving? And it's more about how am I feeling? And if the feeling part is really rock solid, um, you know, and I can really tune into that element of it. It's less about like, am I checking every single thing off the to-do list every, you know, every day? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know there's a, there's a lot to dive in there and both Andrew and me are like <laughs> waiting to see who's going to go first. <laughs> um, I know, you know, I think that the, the last portion there, Aaron, talking about your journey and everything and talking about the difference between performance in the past was about achievement Mm-hmm. And today it's more internal. It's more about how I'm feeling. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. if we were, was there a specific like moment in time that that shift was kind of made? Was it a journey? What were maybe some of the, the key things that came up that maybe other people who feel like they're attaching their performance to achievement might be able mm-hmm. to learn from uh, your experience? Yeah, I think uh, absolutely. And so I think a big thing for me was feeling like I was on a hamster wheel and I could never get off the hamster wheel. And no matter what I was achieving, it never felt like enough. And those two things, like the constant, you know, um, basically just running super, super fast all the time, yet never feeling like I, I really arrived or feeling happy with any of the accomplishments was a huge uh, wake up call for me. And that, that honestly led to two things. It led to when I was about 25, I, um, hit, uh, it wasn't when I hit the significant wall of burnout, but I had definitely some inklings of, of this feeling of something's not right. Like this isn't, this doesn't feel normal. I probably should feel a lot happier than I am given the level I was achieving at, you know, at a young age. And uh, I ended up hiring actually a quarter life crisis coach these people exist. They actually like they're, they're out there. And I, hi- I remember hiring her and the work I did with her was actually quite phenomenal to start unpacking some of it. But then I, I moved from that into um, getting a, a local psychotherapist to help me through that um, really like digging into some of the uh, deep rooted issues. But I think the awareness that I had around something's not right. I don't feel satisfied, even though I'm achieving again, like a level of performance and an mm-hmm. achievement that others would be, you know, very happy with, I wasn't feeling it. So mm-hmm. I think that was like one moment. And then definitely when I hit 
the wall of burnout uh, when I was, um, I think I was about 20, maybe like 30, 30, 32. Anyway, somewhere around that, that age frame or time frame, um, I hit a, a, that significant wall of burnout. It was a culmination of a lot of things uh, happening all at once, both personally and professionally. And I was a mom at the, you know, a new mom and uh, just a lot all at once, but it was the same thing. I hadn't really learned the lessons when, and made changes from mm. mid twenties. I, I was like, well, okay, that was great. I understand what they want me to do, but I'm not going to do it because I, you know, I'm going to keep doing this other, this other path. Uh, but that came to a head uh, pretty significantly. And I was sort of forced at that point to make a change. It was either that, or, you know, I just wasn't going to be able to function at all. So mm-hmm. I think self-awareness, I think if I had to boil it down to just one word. Very powerful. And so three really great things that I'm taking away from this, Erin, is, and and like to spend a little time on curiosity around this too, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. is we really can't separate the kind of logistical objective performance or what companies think of or, or how we should drive our business and how society influences us as to what success is. We really need to look within and identify, you know, with our whole self. So not just the that tangible thing, but how does it also resonate with us as a whole person? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and there's and there's nothing wrong with wanting, you know, material things or no you know, going after certain goals or attaching, you know, performance to a certain metric or whatever it looks like. There's nothing wrong with right. that. It's the relationship you have with it, at least in my, in my own experience, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. It was the relationship yeah. I had with that. And it was a very unhealthy relationship. And I think this is a really important message for everyone out there from a professional standpoint, whether you're an entrepreneur or a leader or a young professional is that wrapping that thought process around what is my relationship with this? you know, with this tangible, with this piece of performance. Um, so I, I really appreciate the candor that you're bringing with regards yeah. to your insights and, and background there. And so now that you have gone through all of that hard work in mm-hmm. developing almost what I would dub a healthy relationship with what you define as performance for yourself, and it mm-hmm. showing up as something that's a good feeling consistently, how do you continue to feel that for yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think what's nice is that I still feel a lot of intrinsic motivation. So even though I'm not necessarily chasing, you know, very specific tangible things, uh, I do still feel very intrinsically motivated. But it's interesting, like the reasons why I feel those things have changed as as my relationship to it has changed. So for me personally, I love, so I love being in a manager role um, because I love being able to influence other people's happiness. I love being able to make sure that work when they show up to it is very rewarding. And as a result, I actually like setting pretty ambitious goals for like my department that are performance-based goals, but the primary reason I'm doing it is actually to help them with their own career goals or, you know, really push them to grow as people, mm-hmm. et cetera. So it's, it's interesting, like the, 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 the motivation and the performance metrics and everything else are still there. And I actually Mm -hmm. still use them a lot in everything to, you know, both push myself, but also push my team. Mm -hmm. But it's just the, the relationship has slightly changed. And I think how we do that is we really think about, you know, what impact does our work have on the world? 
Uh, and, you know, rather than just think of thinking about it from a very, um, you know, self-centered perspective or a very, you know, uh, business perspective only, we actually think about the humans that we interact with and the humans that are in our customer base and, and the humans that are exist in our prospecting and things like that. And it's really about how, how can we take what we know, our expertise, our experience, our skill sets, et cetera, and really drive that, that knowledge out into the world to make them better as well. And I mean, you both know this very well, it's your entire work, right? <laughs> um, you're working with, with performance and leaders and, and, you know, we we're working with managers often. And, and on their productivity side and on their meeting side. And it, so it's, it's similar. And the, the main reason that we're motivated to do very well in our, in our business and in, through our marketing specifically and as a team is really so that we can help more people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the biggest change is that I'm, I used to be driven, I think, a lot by how does the performance benefit me? And now it's like, how does my performance benefit others, whether it's my team, the world, our customers, you know, whatever it looks like. So, so yeah, I think it's more driving performance for those, those reasons. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, I think this is a, a good segue and you talked a little bit about, you know, how you love this manager role and working with mm-hmm. other people and empowering them. So how do you uh, create an environment for uh, your team to thrive? And maybe yeah. lean a little bit even into the remote world where you have you have like 13 years of experience working with remote teams. Uh, where a lot of companies now you know are just getting into it, don't even have a year under their belt yet. What's some insights you might be able to share with them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting when I when I was working remote pre. Uh, pandemic, uh, it was very different. Remote work back then looks very different than remote work today. The primary reason is, is because obviously we're remote working in a crisis, not necessarily just remote working in the most optimal or ideal scenario. So there are some, I would say, significant differences that already exist. One of the the biggest differences is just that um, a lot of man- your management style had to shift and change after the pandemic happened. Uh, you know, you had to leverage a lot more empathy and compassion for, you know, the world and the, the situation we're all in, but also for your individual team members, mm. because for each of them, their situations were different. You know, if I look at even myself, my daughter came home in those early days and I was then balancing being at, you know, fellow for only four weeks when the pandemic hit, but also, you know, having my daughter now at home with me and trying to make sure that she's set up for success. And, you know, there's a lot, there was a lot going on for a lot of people. And so I think, you know, what we did really early on as a, as a team, uh, I did leverage some of the, you know, frameworks and processes and operations that I had from my past, but they needed to be tweaked a little bit as well. Uh, so we did do a few things um, early on that really helped. So implementing a daily stand-up meeting was really valuable. Uh, you know, even if it was just honestly a check-in on people's feelings, um, you know, how are you doing today? Uh, what can I do to, you know, make sure that today feels like a success for you? Uh, you know, really the like checking in on the people and, and emotional side less than the project side. Now the project side obviously still has to happen and tasks still need to be done and work still has to move forward. But um, for us, at least the, the, the main focus shifted instantly to our people. It was how do we ensure that they're set up for success? And, and that, that did continue. So, you know, uh, I would say that what we've, what we've moved to now, now that we've been in this for nine or 10 months 
we still do those daily check-ins. We actually do this um, really great check-in where it's it's uh, color-based. So we're not necessarily having to define how we're feeling or maybe talk about it if we're not really willing to, but it's just simply like on a scale of red to green, you know, with every color in between. And also we have a mango version, which is really fun. Um, Cause it's like a blend between if you're not quite green, but you're not quite yellow, it's like your mango. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, like we have this like range now and every day everybody can, you know, say how they're feeling simply by just adding an emoji to a Slack message, you know, like it's simple. Uh, but those simple things like that, uh, uh, the daily stand-up meetings, um, regular check-ins, regular company all hands, these things are all contributing to us still feeling like a team and feeling very connected to each other and having the ability and the space to talk about things that are much more um, emotional, emotionally based is mm. really key. Um, outside of that, um, if, you know, if we look just simply at things like projects and tasks, I'm really fortunate that I have had the the 14 years um, of experience working remote because from a process perspective and an operational perspective, I thrive in this environment. Like this is like all I know, right? So for me, it's really simple um, for me to leverage technology, whether it's Slack or Zoom or of course Fellow uh, or project management tool, like whatever tools we need to do our, our work. It's easy for me to, to leverage those and, and still drive through like the goals and the objectives and you know our KPIs and everything through those platforms. Um, in a remote way. But I think the piece that's the most interesting in the context of our conversation is definitely the like shifts that had to be made in how we were, you know, showed up as managers and leaders, I think mm. as a, in a, as a company. Mm. I'm hearing there something that's really powerful. So it's not just about leveraging the technology and creating spaces for one-on-one meetings and team meetings. And I think you had said all hand meetings, mm-hmm. Um, so there's actually different types of meetings that you attach it to. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just about the operations, but it's also checking in with the individuals or the individual teams to see what's up and what's going on with them specifically without a hidden agenda, if I'm hearing that correctly. Absolutely. Yeah. I think yeah. it's also, I think it's also remembering too, that not everybody's done this before. Like not everyone's mm-hmm. worked remote. So I think sometimes, you know, everyone, and, you know, we see this all the time, everyone has different working styles, different communication styles. And when you're thrust into a remote environment, a lot of those things that, you know, just naturally happen in an office environment where you're sort of running into people, it's easy to walk to someone's desk, like that, it, there's a an extra burden to all of that when you think about having to even type out a full message versus just speaking it. Um, And so I think, you know, the technology is definitely, it definitely helps. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one facet of it, but I think as a manager, especially you need to really be aware of, of the different styles that exist within your team and, and try to play to everyone's strengths. Um, And, and the last thing I'll say on meetings, just because obviously we're a meetings platform. So (laughs) place I spend a lot of time, Um, but we, what we're finding as a team is that actually we're not, we're, we're not necessarily booking more live meetings. Um, we do have those. Those are very helpful, mm-hmm. but we're also leveraging async meetings like, or asynchronous meetings where we hold a, a calendar placeholder just so we can build the agenda in fellow, but we um, actually don't show up to that meeting live. And what, what we do instead is we all kind of collaboratively contribute to the agenda and it's really great. The reason I say this is because a lot of teams are feeling a bit of Zoom burnout. They're feeling yeah. a bit of meeting burnout. 
And if that's the case, like you don't necessarily need to do all your meetings live. You could actually leverage a lot of these asynchronous meetings and people can just show up to the agenda, you know, when they, when it works for them. So there's a lot that can be done to really, I think, play to people's strengths. Mm, That's an interesting concept. To be totally honest, I haven't heard much about asynchronous meetings. Can you Mm -hmm. briefly tell us like how that works operationally? So if I'm understanding correctly, management would set agenda times, but team members can just kind of pop in when it's convenient for them based on their schedule. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a I'll give you a really easy example. So uh, we have a daily standup in the marketing um, on the marketing team. And what we realized early on is we don't actually need to go through the whole process of like getting on Zoom or getting on Google Meet or whatever and, and having the conversation. What we're really interested in is what are you working on today? And, uh, you know, are there any blockers that are in your way? You know, mm-hmm. how can how can I as your manager help? How can other team members help? And really those are the things we're most interested in, in surfacing. Right. And so what we did is we, we created a recurring event. It happens every morning, 9.30 to 10. It's held in our calendars, but we actually don't show up to that meeting live. Uh, instead, we use Fellow as, uh, because it's a collaborative agenda tool. We use it to, uh, we have like the same headings every single day and people mm-hmm. just pop in, whether it's the night before or that morning, whenever they I like see. to do their planning and they fill in what they're going to do that day and then, uh, you know, what the blockers are. Okay. And that's it. And then I, as a manager can go in and, and then it also can, you know, creates a full record of, um, all, every single meeting we've ever had. So it's a great place for us to track that stuff as well as a team. Mm-hmm. And conversely, what have been some of the nuances with the remote workforce essentially at this point in time? Yeah, I would say definitely communication is probably the biggest one. I think it's really easy to, not communicate as much when you're working remote and you also don't hear the in-office chatter. So, you know, if I think back to when we were in the office, we had an open floor plan. We all sat in rows, you know, like very startup-y. We all sat in rows, but you could hear everyone all the Mm -hmm. time. So if like a team over here was talking about a specific problem or a challenge, or they were talking about, you know, a feature that we were building out, you could hear it. You didn't, you know, you weren't sitting there just listening all the time, but if something was related to, you know, you or your position, you, you were likely to hear it. Whereas now, now that we're all working remote, um, companies may not even realize this, but a lot of communication and conversation is actually happening in DMS, like in direct messages, right? Like they're not even being surfaced necessarily to public or shared Slack channels. Mm. And So as a result, what's happening is all of these sidebar conversations are happening that aren't being surfaced. And so I think companies that will succeed well in remote will put a a heavy emphasis on surfacing more of those conversations to a public forum, uh, which is why, you know, we, we obviously are in the tech space. We love the leveraging technology for this purpose. Mm but there's lots of things people can do beyond just, you know, technology. I mean, obviously in a remote situation, you have to leverage it to a degree, right? Right. (laughs) You have to jump on a Google meet or a zoom or pick up the phone or something. Uh, But I think it's just the companies that will, that put an emphasis on really opening up those lines of communication and over communicating Mm -hmm. will, will do a lot better than those that don't. And I'm wondering if how that could look would be. So just kind of taking this into the concept of, 
cross-team collaboration. So Mm -hmm. really building your culture around that from a remote workplace standpoint could be, you know, something like a global group of problems Mm -hmm. and resolutions. So everybody can kind of check in with that on a weekly basis or whatever that, however that shows up and however you use technology is really trying to understand and emphasize global successes and Mm -hmm. champions and also global issues and uh, ways to, to manage that and open more dialogue across teams versus just in the silos of, of either mm-hmm. one-on-one or, or individual teams. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll, and for any company listening, I'll give you one other example of what we do. That's been really helpful. Um, Cause I, I'm very tactical. So I love, if I'm listening to anything, I'm like, what are the takeaways? What can I bring back <laughs> into my own company? So one thing we do that's been honestly really, really amazing is that we have developed something that we call a weekly summary and it's mm-hmm. a company-wide uh, again, calendar item, because we obviously we run everything through the calendar, but it's a it's a company-wide meeting. It happens Fridays at 4 p.m. And it's uh, we call it the weekly summary. Again, it's a collaborative agenda that's done asynchronously, but it essentially is broken down by department. So every department, every Friday fills out this weekly summary and they they cover off exactly what you were just talking about, challenges, celebrations. Um, places where they're, you know, stuck, that they need the support of another team, any metrics that are interesting from their department that other departments would find kind of, kind of cool. And so then what, what, what we do with that data is a, it lives in fellow forever, but we also um, on Sundays, our CEO actually sends that agenda to himself. And then he forwards it to all of us with an email from him every single week. And that email basically is him, you know, kind of celebrating the week, talking about the highlights, talking about the challenges, um, surfacing anything from a very transparent message perspective around, you know, um, maybe there's like some team stuff that he needs to talk about or operational, Mm. uh, but he puts it in there. And it's been, it's honestly been phenomenal to keep us all feeling like the work we're doing cross-functionally matters Mm. and that, you know, we're really working as a team, even remote. So I think any company could implement that. And, it's honestly just a really great touch point uh, from, especially from our CEO. And I, and I know a lot of people find it very inspiring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fantastic insights. And so when it comes to all of this from a management perspective in remote teams, what is your approach to holding team members accountable? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So we are, I would say that our culture um, at fellow is very heavily uh, dominated by feedback and one-on-ones. Um, so we, we'd actually be like, you know, we should talk about this offline sometime, but I think you'd actually really enjoy um, learning a little bit more about like our operations and yeah. from a, especially from a performance perspective, but mm. we are, I would say we are um, hyper-focused on one-on-ones and feedback. And as a result, uh, when it comes to accountability, we're having these conversations weekly where we're digging into, you know, both career goals, but also any challenges that are, are showing up, roadblocks, opportunities. And we have baked into our company values, um, a growth mindset. Like right. one of the things that like our, our company values is, you know, to experiment and grow. And so as a result, we're all sort of focused on that, that, that philosophy. And so when it, for accountability, it shows up in many meetings for sure in many different ways and projects. But I would say Mm -hmm. 
it's single-handedly uh, focused on in both the one-on-one and also our regular feedback cycles. Mm. Uh, it shows up there a lot. Mm, fantastic. I, I know we could probably jam out about this for the next hour or two. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, a lot of the takeaways here in terms of, you know, communicating with teams and really checking on the people. And again, mm-hmm. like this, this is just in line with intuitive performance, but, you know, checking on the person behind the role rather than just the role itself. And Absolutely. not just saying, you know, what are you doing in your job? But yeah, what, what color are you today? Are you mango? And if you yeah. want, how, how can I support you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, from that perspective. And, you know, one of the questions we asked all of our participants uh, is what are three words of inspiration that you'd like the world to hear? Oh my gosh, three words, like three individual words or three words strung into a sentence? Or do I get to pick? <laughs> that's that's the, the great part about being the interviewee. You get to choose the answer however you wish. <laughs> I would say, I'm going to say focus on humans, I think would be, would be the thing. And yeah, only because like, I really believe that to be impactful from a management and leadership perspective. I believe it to be impactful from a marketing perspective, from a business perspective. If you focus on humans, I think everything else, you know, starts to fall into place. That is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have the headline for our, uh, our podcast. <laughs> I think it's on humans. Focus you think I humans. do marketing or something. I know, right? <laughs> I was thinking this could be parsed into like a meme, you know, with Aaron holding the bubble, you know, all that great stuff. We really appreciate you. And thank you so much, Aaron, for joining us today. No worries. Thank you for having me. This is honestly what the fastest uh, time. We just went by so fast. So <laughs> that means it was a great conversation. So thank you. Wonderful. And uh, we really appreciate sharing your entrepreneurial insights with Intuitive Performance and our subscribers. Uh, for those who would like to learn more about Aaron and the fellow app, uh, we're going to be providing a link to the business and your uh, LinkedIn profile as well to our company page and throughout social media. Take good care. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you very much for all of our subscribers to tuning in into another great episode of the Elevate Business uh, podcast. Take good care. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Business podcast. I hope you enjoyed the program. You can subscribe to future podcasts at intuityperformance.com, where you can also sign up for webinars and learn more about professional coaching and our facilitation solutions available to help fire up your whole person performance skills and drive actions for success. Until next time, stay true to you and take care of each other. We are all better together. Thanks for listening to the Human Side of Business podcast. I'm glad you could join us. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to stay updated with our latest content, make sure to visit our website. The link can be found in the episode description where you can subscribe to the podcast, sign up for our newsletter and learn more about our whole person leadership services. Sounds interesting? Explore the whole person leadership cohort by Intuity Performance, a unique program that offers unparalleled support to managers on every step of their leadership journey. Our program features evidence-based assessments, workbooks, group coaching, and interactive learning experiences to help you level up your leadership skills. Reach out today to apply to one of our upcoming cohorts. Until next time, take care and stay curious.